Hello. Welcome again to the Rotten Horror Picture Show, the horror movie podcast where we talk about movies off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror, damn it, 200 best so horror close. movies of all time list. 40 something episodes in and almost perfect. Almost 50. We're, we're a few away from 50. Yikes. I don't want to put any stress on you. God damn it. I knew you were going to say that. Number 50 is your next wild card. Mm. So don't let the 10 people who listen to this show down. <laughs> God damn it. I like those 10 people. I don't want to let them down. <laughs> That's more pressure than if there had been like, you know, a thousand people and I didn't give a shit about any of them. That's true. <laughs> yeah. When I played in a band, um, <clears throat> anytime that there was fewer people there was usually when we played our better shows mm. because they were usually the people that we knew. And so for some reason it was like, well, they were nice enough to come. We should probably... Go all out. Bring our A game. Yeah, we had to. There was the one time that we played multiple shows in a weekend. We did uh, a show Friday night Mm -hmm. and then two shows on Saturday, like an afternoon and a night show. Oh, wow. And, you know, we're not a professional band, so you got to kind of make sure you pace yourself. We did not pace ourselves. (laughs) Friday night was amazing. Friday night was arguably the best show we've ever played. Wow. And then Saturday. We were all really tired. <laughs> oh my god! So by by like the third show Saturday night, it's just like all I right, had no well. voice left. Oh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was fun though. It was a good time. Yeah. Um, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about today. Number forty two on our list. Oh wow! Amanda's favorite movie. She got her hair dyed the color of this film just what? just in uh, uh, in honor of it. Wait. We've got Mandy. What? The most magenta movie I've ever seen. Is it really? I don't know. Color Out of Space, I feel like, is pretty fucking magenta. Well, yeah, I did want to talk about that because this is kind of the the start of Nick Cage's magenta period. Yes. And I'm hoping he does one more in the same wheelhouse just for one of those great, like, trilogies but like the 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 italian horror movie type trilogies right where they're not connected plot wise but there's like some aesthetic and thematic through line yeah yeah that, yeah, would, be, yeah. that would be great a, like spiritual trilogy rather than yeah. a literal one yes and i will be referring to you as mandy for the rest of this all right episode. you know what this one time i'm gonna allow it <laughs> but if it goes outside of this recording we're not friends anymore that's fair <laughs> i'll still show up at your house every other week to record these but i won't like you that's, while we do it that's i that's makes sense okay uh it is number 42 on our list with a 90 percent rotten tomato score uh had you seen this before yes yeah did you see it in the theater no i i feel like i saw it one night when my husband was uh, I don't know, somewhere else doing something else. It, it, he could have been entirely. Who cares if he came home? I mean, he well, it could have been a time where he was like literally in an entirely other in other state because sure. he was traveling for like work or something. Or he could have been down the hallway in our 600 square foot condo mm-hmm. just uh, on his computer. And I completely forgot he existed. Um, but yeah, I think I just watched it alone in the dark with a couple of beers and maybe a tiny bit of whiskey one night. Yeah. I um, The right way to watch this. Absolutely. Uh, I hope you screamed in the bathroom after you were done. The, uh, <laughs> Covered myself in red paint first. <laughs> I very much regret not seeing this in the theater. Same. Yeah. And I do need to keep my eyes open to see if it pops up in like a midnight show somewhere. Yeah, because, this one would be a fun one to see. Yeah, I've, I've seen it probably three times. Mm-hmm. 
but I would still, I would absolutely go see it in the theater for yeah. that experience. Yeah, big this, screen, good sound. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like if the Coolidge plays it on that big screen or something, I think I would have to go see that. That would be neat. But yeah, I uh, the first time I watched this was one uh, Halloween a couple of years ago. We had some people over and we yeah. watched a couple of movies. I can't remember what the first one was, but I definitely remember this one. <laughs> and it was a fairly hyped movie at the time. Yes, And yeah. I thought it lived up to the hype for the most part. I do have a couple... I don't know if I have problems with it, but there are quibbles, perhaps. Yeah, maybe there's a couple things that I think would be interesting to talk about. But yeah, before we do that, we're going to take a quick break and play the trailer, and then we will get into Mandy. Mandy from 2018, not the Barry Manilow song, the Nicolas Cage movie, uh, directed by Panos Cosmatos, 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 either way, Yeah. written by, or story by Panos Cosmatos, written by Aaron Stewart on, starring Nicolas Cage, Andrea Riseborough, Linus Roach, Bill motherfucking Duke, (laughs) and the greatest sales spokesperson mascot ever created, the Cheddar Goblin. Yes. Amanda, what happens in Mandy? I'm sorry, Mandy. What <laughs> I was going to say, you gave up on it already. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> in the Pacific Northwest in 1983, outsiders Red Miller and Mandy Bloom 
lead a loving and peaceful existence. When their pine-scented haven is savagely destroyed by a cult led by the sadistic Jeremiah Sand, Red is catapulted into a phantasmagoric journey filled with bloody vengeance and laced with deadly fire. That's pretty. That's a pretty good synopsis. Yeah, I actually think that one was like shockingly well written for yeah. these sort of generic synopses that I crib from the internet because I'm too lazy to do them myself. <laughs> uh, well, Clay, some things you'll find in Mandy include mm-hmm. uh, a Cenobite biker gang. You know, it's not a true Cenobite biker gang because pretty close. the Cenobite biker gang, one of them would be an actual like motorcycle. Like that would be <laughs> yeah. One of one of them would ride another one of them into exactly, battle. Kind exactly. Of yeah, yeah, That's yeah, how yeah. they would do it. While the, the wheels, motorcycle one would just be screaming the whole time. Yeah, and the wheels would be like other heads or something. But it's pretty yeah, close. Yeah. Outside yeah. of outside of an officially licensed <laughs> Clive Barker Cenobite gang, this is about yes. as close you're going to get. This is about as close as you can get. Uh, Nick Cage in the Ocarina of Time. Yeah, that thing only makes one. <laughs> there's there's some questions. Yes. About. Uh, about that element and about the Cenobite biker gang. There's some questions about several things in this movie. Yes, yes. Uh, the uh, the aforementioned Cheddar Goblin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's green. He's mean. He loves macaroni and cheese. For like breakfast or something. Yes. Uh, that sequence was done by the guy who did Too Many Cooks, <laughs> which is one of the greatest pieces of television of the last <laughs> 10 years. I think it was... Was that? That might have been more than ten years. Nah, it's probably. Uh, it's 10 probably. Years. It's probably somewhere within the last ten years. Yeah. 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 Uh, and the tainted blade of the pale knight, straight from the abyssal lair. Yeah, I don't remember who says that, where it comes up, or but why. I I wrote it down <laughs> <clears throat> because it is one of many quotes in this movie that are just fantastic. Um, yeah, taken straight from the pages of Heavy Metal magazine. Yeah, like it's it's. I think it it would be really easy for that kind of stuff to feel overwrought, but not in this movie where everything is just uh, vibrating with yeah heavy metal energy. Heavy yeah. metal in, in the magazine sense. Yes. Um. So my first question, mm-hmm. Mandy. Yes, Clay. Um. Is this movie slow? That's a great question, actually. I paused for a long time because my, my my immediate question back would be like, well, that depends on your definition of slow. Mm-hmm. But I guess technically, yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it takes it takes a good hour and 15 minutes before we get to what we're kind of building towards. Yeah. You know? It's... Um, I forgot how long it was. It's it's <laughs> it's a solid two hours. It's almost yeah. exactly a little bit over two hours. Yeah, you mean the movie as a whole? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, my my girlfriend doesn't love this movie mainly for one scene, which is the scene where Mandy, hello, uh, the titular Mandy, gets uh, put into a sleeping bag, hung upside down, and set on fire. Yep, alive. And uh, when I started watching it. She was like, oh, I don't want to be here for that scene. And I said, you've got plenty. Of t- it's like 20 minutes in, so it doesn't happen for a while. Uh, she left and did some other stuff. Came back in right around the hour mark, <laughs> which happens to be exactly the time that they set Mandy on fire. Surprise! And even from that point on, there's probably another 10 minutes, 15 minutes before he really starts getting into this, this like weird revenge plot oh yeah and i was watching it and i was like man what 
because I, I was reading some of the reviews on IMDb, which you know you shouldn't do. I don't. And uh, <clears throat> a lot of a lot of the negative ones were, oh, it's so slow, it's so arty, nothing means anything, it's just arty for the sake of being arty. And I, I, I hate, I hate it when people say that because it's usually not true. Um, and I was thinking about, it, I was like, is this a slow movie? And my takeaway is that it's not slow, but it's very deliberate. Yeah, that's why I paused so long when you when you asked me that. It's because I I feel like when you say a movie, when someone says a movie is slow, it's usually meant in a negative sense. Sure. Like the pacing is too slow. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the case for this movie. I think the pacing is very deliberate. I think it, the pacing is exactly where the the writer and the director wanted it to be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I and I think it benefits from that. I think if this were a 2-hour movie where 20 to 30 minutes in Mandy is already dead, mm-hmm. then it just becomes essentially like heavy metal John Wick, which I think is a lot less interesting than what they actually do here. Yeah, and that's something I do want to get into as well. Um but we'll we'll touch on that in a second cuz sure. um yeah, because I think I think the 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 pace of this movie is bolstered by everything else that's going on because it's not yeah it's deliberate. But more than that, from f- the first frame of the movie to the last frame of the movie, the word I would use to describe it is hypnotic. Yeah, and they kind of it goes. They really dial that up in some places, and they dial it back in some places. But it the whole thing has a very hypnotic tone to it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the music, the visuals, even that first opening song, which is that King Crimson song, which yeah. is I've listened to like five times today. <laughs> that song is awesome. It's a great I, song. I don't particularly care for King Crimson, but that song is great. Yeah, it's just it's a very specific hypnotic tone that they're setting, and they maintain it throughout the whole movie. Yeah, it would almost you could almost call it surrealist. Oh, definitely. But like yes. at times, not. It, it, it's great because at times it's it's full surrealism, but at other times it's like just like that that knife's edge of the uncanny, mm-hmm. where everything is like almost normal, but like right. not even the way Mandy looks. Yeah, like her face and her expression and and the and just her her general look is like she's not a beautiful woman, but she is and she is a hypnotic sure. person. Sure. She has this like fascinating face Mm -hmm. that is just like it just kind of pulls you in without being like you know a supermodel right you know right right um yeah and it's and nicholas cage's character is it kind of occupies that same space where it's like yeah i mean it's nicholas cage so yeah that stands out a bit but (laughs) even even so he kind of you know he's got a big beard on he doesn't he doesn't look like movie star Nicolas Cage he's very willing to let himself get ugly in this movie not that not that he's ever been like a a, a beautiful actor but no 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 but yeah this this is not like trim like action hero right Nick Cage this is like somebody who maybe looks like yeah they do live and work in the woods yeah yeah and and the whole all the time that they spend with the two of them is very kind of um languid i guess was a good way you, word you could use that's a great word for it yeah. because it's uh it's it's a lot of empty space 
but they are spending time together, so it doesn't feel like wasted time. Uh, I mean, there's yeah. that scene where they're just kind of laying down, and she tells that story about her father killing the birds. Mm-hmm. And there's they don't expand on that, but yeah. that's like uh, the what's going on between the two of them during that. I think is is actually pretty good character work as far as their relationship. Yeah, because I I think it's fairly realistic. Like, you and I are both people who've been in relationships for a pretty long time at this point. Yeah, and I always, I mean, every time I'm in a relationship, I tell (laughs) all the stories about how many animals my father has killed in front of me. (laughs) And I think that's what you do as well. Yeah, 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 of course. But, like, but that is, I, I think, in all seriousness, that is a more realistic way of when you disclose or divulge something that happened to you that upset you Mm -hmm. that was hurtful to you that was traumatic or sad or whatever when you're talking to your like long-term partner it's not these big dramatic movie monologues where it's like i have something i need to tell you right and i've never shared this with anyone before and it's haunted me my entire life one time my dad killed a bird Mm -hmm. like that's not how you talk when you're in a relationship with somebody sometimes you are just kind of hanging out and something is it has been in your head and you just kind of explain it the way it happened and the other person is like sad for you and is there for you and then that's it like yeah, yeah. it's not this big there's no big elevated language there's no big like you movie don't, moment you don't you know? expound on the reason you told that story exactly which i'm really happy they didn't do exactly like you just you just tell the story because you're you're with this person that you're intimate with and you trust so you feel like you can tell it mm-hmm. and i think that that's one of the things I like about this movie and why when you ask, do I think it's slow? The answer is like technically yes, but I don't feel like it is. Yeah, because I, I think that there are certain movies and this is definitely one of them where <clears throat> it's about they are about um, waiting in them. W-A-D-I-N-G. Yes. And this is very much a movie where you are meant to wade through this movie. Yeah. It's not really about the plot. It's not really about... I mean, it's about the characters in as much as that, you know, you have to know that they're important. Yeah, but it's more about the atmosphere Yeah, it's about it's about the atmosphere and the... the the emotions of the characters and their reactions to the things that are happening yeah. it's it's less about the things that are actually happening and more about how the characters are processing those things and how their emotions are being uh um what's the word i'm looking for uh expressed yeah and the uh, uh what's interesting is that apparently this movie was the director referred to this movie as uh, his way of processing his parents' death. Oh, interesting. Because I believe both of his parents passed away relatively close to each other. Mm-hmm. And I had listened to um, uh, Elijah Wood and his producing partner, whose name escapes me. I apologize. It's so interesting to me that this movie is produced by Elijah Wood. I know. Yeah, he's got a, <laughs> he's got an interesting like love for genre films yeah yeah he had he has a a strange sensibility that's unexpected yeah he was did you ever see maniac the movie from 1981 no because he did the remake of maniac which i think he produced and starred in maniac is like one of the more notorious early 80s schlocky horror movies right yeah i've heard of it but i i I haven't seen it yeah it's a it's i would say it's worth watching just to see it it's a it's a very strange movie but it's when I saw that he was the driving force behind the remake, I was like, oh, okay, he's got 
he's, he likes some weird shit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but he and his producing partner had a have a. I don't know if they're still doing new, epi- new episodes, but they had a podcast called I think it's called like Conversations or something. I can't oh. remember exactly, but it's them talking to different filmmakers. They did two episodes with. Uh, um, Guillermo del Toro. Oh, and they also did an, an interview with uh, uh, Cosmos Panatos. 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 Pa- pa- nice. The director of Mandy. They yes. did a direct <laughs> an interview with, and they really got into his history. <laughs> Panatos. <laughs> Sorry. He's he's a he's a Greek. He's god. a Greek god. Yeah. 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 Uh, Panos Cosmatos. Did that, it. Good not, job. Not Panos the Wonder Child. <laughs> um. Have I ever sent you that the Lords of Synth? It's oh, I'm I'm, I'm sure you have. Yeah, I'll send it to you again. Okay, but you should watch. It's very very funny. Sure. Um, they do a, an interview with the director of Mandy, and he they talk about his uh, uh, filmography and his history in film. And this is only his second movie. I was gonna say it's interesting to have like a like a an interview with him about his sort of history in film and he's only got one other feature length yeah, thing. Yeah, he's he's from a showbiz family. His father right. is uh, George Cosmatos, who is the director of Tombstone. Yeah. And I want to say I think Rambo 2. He was a I think so. Yeah. He was a uh action guy in the 80s. I think he did Leviathan, which was one of those post post Jaws. uh, Ah. I think it was the other movie that came out when The Abyss came out. Okay. Same kind of thing. Okay. Um, The Abyssal Lair. Yes. (laughs) And uh, they talk about his first movie, uh, 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 Panos' first movie. Isn't that one like like Beyond the the Black Rainbow or something like that? If you think this is a weird movie. (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen that? I have seen clips from it. And I've never seen the whole thing. It is worth watching, but again, yeah. if it's like if you took Mandy, took out the easy to follow storyline, right, and just leaned hard into the aesthetic, yeah, that's what Beyond the Black Rainbow is. Wow. Um, and they asked him about that movie and why he made it, and he said, "Well, I made it because I wanted to make a movie before I was forty. And so, huh? He's not. He doesn't have like this drive to be a prolific filmmaker. He wanted to make a movie before he was 40, so he made that one. Yeah. And then his parents died. And oh. the way that he ma- he processed their death was by making Mandy. And I feel like I feel like you can while I wouldn't watch this movie and go, this is a movie Some, by someone, someone whose parents died. <laughs> yeah. There is a melancholy and a thick layer of grief that yes. is smeared all over this thing. That is very hard to to get away from. Yeah, and that's really it's really interesting because once you said it, I I immediately kind of got it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like like I wouldn't have thought of it myself, but when yeah. you said he was processing his parents' deaths, it's like, yeah. Yeah, no, I can you, once you think back on the movie, that makes sense because there are like I keep thinking specifically, like one of my notes was um that there are so many like slow lingering shots of people's faces. Yeah. Like especially Mandy's, but also Red's. Yep. Like there's just these slow, either they're actually slow motion or they're just, they just kind of sit pretty close to the person's face for really long periods of time. And it becomes almost like with you, when you add that and the colors and the music, it, it is almost like a meditation. Yeah. On these like 
faces that but they become almost like sculptures or like statuesque yeah yeah and it's really interesting and you, you can kind of see that it's like somebody somebody trying to work their way through some sort of feelings yeah 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 i i really appreciate also that they didn't he didn't go the uh marriage story route and be like i'm processing my divorce by making this movie about divorce yeah i i'm glad he put it through a weird filter and just uh yeah. did something completely completely divorced from what he was actually going through but oddly thematically kind of tied into it right because it's still dealing with death and grief right and mourning and like yeah, all, all of those. It kind of reminds me, this is a little bit of a tangent, but like when my when I was a teenager and my dad died, um, I read the book House of Leaves mm-hmm. and it was like really weirdly cathartic for me when I read it. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's it's it's, it's, it's a kind of, it's one of those books that people either love or they hate. Okay. Um, it's laid out in a very crazy way. The font, there's different fonts and like it's oh, the layout sure, of the pages sure. is all nuts. Yeah. Um, and I didn't find out until after, I, th- I think after I'd read it the first time, I found out that the author wrote it because his father died. Oh, interesting. And like, yeah. there's a father character in the book, but it's not about his death. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's yeah. sort of like it was him grappling with the feelings of losing his dad and his complicated relationship and his grief, but it's not explicitly about a parent dying. Right. So it's it's interesting when like pieces of art kind of can do that where they can take something that the creator is going through and then put it through this other lens and have something different come out the other side that's still like a thematic connection but not this like like you said the mar- the marriage story yeah, method yeah. where it's like I'm just going to write my life. Yeah, and it it's I based on his first movie um this very just seems to be this kind of filmmaking seems to be what his sensibilities are. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Which I appreciate because I really enjoy it. Yeah, um, and it's unique. Like it, it's oh, it's really different, which is nice. It's not like it, this movie is one of those movies where it's like it almost feels like if you told me this was made by a director who had like a lot of clout and basically was given a blank check to just do whatever he wanted, that's what this feels like because yeah. it is so. All over the place, stylistically. Yes. Like, there is an animated dream sequence there's that happens a couple, a couple times. yeah, yeah. There's the Cheddar Goblin thing. <laughs> there's yes. all of the other crazy shit that's going on. Yeah, there's these kind of vaguely, like, Twin Peaks-y, like, eerie but beautiful shots of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then there's just, like, I don't know, Architectural Digest, like... <laughs> <laughs> inside of homes and stuff yeah it's it's really interesting yeah and it's i i don't know how you pitch this movie to somebody <laughs> like it's if because yeah. it's like if if you the you go okay so it's about nicholas cage who's a lumberjack yeah and then his wife <coughs> excuse me his wife gets killed by this cult and then nicholas cage goes and he hunts the cult down and he kills the cult guys Okay. It sounds when you when you say the plot out loud, it sounds like such a different movie than it is. Right. Because and that's one of the things that I did want to talk about because you mentioned it's John Wick on acid. Yeah. And I remember thinking the first time I watched it, the thing I came away with, I was like, that was awesome. I kind of wish it was 
even more removed from the plot because the plot mm. re- after you get through the first hour it really kind of is just a revenge movie yeah it's i mean when i say just i mean yeah. as far as like the beat to beat things that are happening it's it's pretty standard what you're yeah. seeing is not standard at all but i was kind of i was a little bit d- disappointed that it was such a straightforward revenge thing yeah um and it wasn't a little weirder from that standpoint it's funny i feel like you know i haven't seen his first movie but based on what you were just saying it sounds almost like he was like okay everybody thought my first movie was incomprehensible yeah so this time i'm gonna make the plot real clear yeah and then i'm gonna (laughs) do whatever i want around that but i'm gonna give everyone a really clear linear narrative and then I'm going right. to be able to go nuts with everything else. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Drive, and what how I will huh. let me let me finish my comparison here. Uh, Nicholas Reffin is a very is another very deliberate stylized filmmaker. Yes, yeah, uh, he he did a movie called uh, uh, Valhalla Rising. Oh, yeah, which is an awesome like another very meditative hypnotic movie about vikings which is really cool he's so fucking good but it's not really accessible to a wide audience yeah so then he does drive which has a lot of his sensibilities in it but is extremely accessible yes to the point where he did his next movie only god forgives which i think a lot of people thought was going to be drive too yes and it very much is not and i think it alienated a lot of people i love that movie but i can see (laughs) why people don't (laughs) I will say I don't love that movie, but I, I, I didn't dislike it. Yeah, it, it was maybe just not quite for me, but I appreciated, sure. I appreciated it for what it was. And it's interesting because I feel like this movie, Mandy, is a little bit closer to Only God Forgives yeah, than it, it is. is to Drive. I was just, I was just thinking in terms of like how, yeah, yeah. he's got a sensibility that he kind of tames a bit, exactly, for, uh, like you were saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. And th- this movie is sort of like the halfway point between those those two, mm-hmm. like in terms of balancing a, a linear narrative and storytelling with a very strong aesthetic style. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. So yeah, how do you like? I guess one of the things that that kind of bugs me about the normalness of the plot, if mm-hmm. I if I can use that word, is that it takes away a, a little bit of the. It confuses me a bit as far as some of the weirder stuff, and it takes away yeah. some of the specialness of the weird stuff, like like the Cenobite biker gang. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which what are they actually called the black skulls so, yeah something, something kind like of generic like that like the way that they show up in the movie is uh, jeremiah sand this cult leader talks about needing to call them in i guess to get this girl yes to get mandy and in order to do that they have to give them a sacrifice so they sacrifice the the they call them like the fat boy or something yeah and in order to get to find them, they have to use this like ocarina, yes, to summon them, yes. And there, and there is a, and they they have this weird like goop that they drink that they're like fiends for. I think it's LSD. It is, but yeah. you don't know at the time. Okay. So they've got this weird <laughs> shit that they're drinking and like spilling all over themselves. Yes. And they've got a very demonic look, and they have a very uh, supernatural air to them. Yeah, isn't it also heavily implied that they're cannibals? I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then once, you know, and, and they show up, at, they facilitate Jeremiah getting Mandy and all this kind of stuff. And then when Nicolas Cage finally goes after them, he finds out first that they're just a bunch of tweakers that yes. took insane acid and have been nuts ever since. Yes. And then after that, they kind of get taken out pretty easily. And the when when Bill Duke tells him that they're just guys who are really high, yeah, I'm underselling it a bit, but it, they it takes away some of that mystery and supernatural element to it, and yeah. it kind of just turns them into guys who can be dispatched fairly quickly, which is kind of how they are. Which I I was always surprised that they were the first people he kills because you think they would be like further down the line than like the old lady, <laughs> right? Right. I, I, you know, I think the reasoning behind that is because the fur- further, further down the line he gets in, his, in terms of his list of people I got to kill, mm-hmm. the closer he gets to the people who actually did the bad things True. to Mandy. Yeah. Yep. So point. like the people he kills last are, I think it's, it's mother Marlene or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Jeremiah Sand and the mother Marlene character is the one who gives her the LSD and stings her with the wasp. Which I did not remember that Holy sequence. shit. That, that fucking wasp. Yeah. I was like audibly squirming yeah. when they pulled that giant wasp out. I did Ni- not remember Neither that. one of us is really a big fan of bugs. No. Not like, a fan. like spiders specifically, but that wasp is a close second. Yeah. Wasps, <laughs> like anything, bees and wasps are probably number two for me. I'm okay on- with bees. Bees are good for if they pollinate shit. They're they're important. Yeah, for I the mean ecosystem. spiders eat bugs too. So oh, you gotta love spider. No, you yeah, don't. Yeah, but you know some spiders are poisonous. Bees are not poisonous. True. And if bees sting you, then they die. So it's sad for everyone. Yeah, I I just I've had bad experiences. This is my... I got stung in the eye once. Oh, and ever oh, since then, uh... not well, not the eyeball, like right next inside, you know, on my bridge of my nose, like right oh, next that to my eye. Sucks. And ever since then, I I've been very gun shy around anything yellow and black with a stinger <laughs> that's fair that's fair we don't have to keep fighting about bees this isn't the podcast for that it's I my other podcast i appreciate what they do for the world I'll, thank you I, but i but i don't have to like them that's fair i'm glad we came to an agreement on this <laughs> <laughs> um i'm so, i don't even remember what we were talking about before that uh we were talking about the wasp scene yes yes uh oh and you were saying uh He's going down the line. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like he's like bringing himself closer and closer to Jeremiah mm-hmm. Sand. Yeah, because the biker gang, the biker gang is kind of a red herring. Yeah, a little bit. You yeah. know, where they're, they're they're sort of like these figures like who come in and and help do this, but they don't even really need them. Not really. You yeah. know, like like they're sort of window dressing in a way to give everything this more surreal, frightening feeling. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, they they sneak into the house at night when Red and Mandy are asleep. So they, the the cult members very easily could have done that. Yeah, they sneak in. Well, maybe they're the ones who set up all the lights. Yeah, they they sneak in, set up all the red lights. Yes. So they turn those on. Get the sound system ready to go. Yeah, they are an interesting addition because they are, and I think that's kind of I, I don't think it would bother me if they just didn't explain that they were just people like if they if they kind of okay. occupy occupied more of a mythical space yeah i think i would be okay with that yeah and and their use in the movie yeah it does also kind of ruin it when he goes to their house and it's just like a shitty like 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they they don't even live anywhere. Like it's it's dirty and it's gross and they've you know. They got a giant hole. They, they but the the giant hole is, is is like the thing, and then the rest of the house looks just like a a gross but kind of boring, crappy, like mid century yeah. ranch or something. It's really interesting, like putting putting those guys in their like cenobite bondage gear in this very beige and brown yes house. Yeah, it's like yeah. I mean, I wonder kind if- of expect them to all live in like a basement or like. And an and abandoned lumber mill or do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I do wonder if that's very intentional as well to kind of take some of that mystique away for them. Yeah. It's, it's a tough call because like in those scenes, they are still very scary. Yeah. But they are occupying a very like trashy space. Yes. That I'm not sure if, if you're supposed to have like a, a a layer of the onion peeled back to be like oh these these are just because that's another thing they do in this as well with jeremiah sand mm-hmm. who is this cult leader who is yep. portrayed very much up his own ass yes but as far as the viewers concerned you know pretty much immediately that this guy is full of shit and is just incredibly insecure yeah yeah it is it is interesting though because there is that like layer of showing him one way like like there are times where you see sand and he is sort of this messianic figure and he's got everybody in his thrall and obeying him and then by the end he's kind of broken down and he's like he's literally begging nick cage and saying like i'll suck your cock don't kill me (laughs) yeah he has a he has a really interesting swing there at the end where he has a little bit of of uh uh cult leader dignity left then he very right. quickly throws it out the window yes. in favor of begging for his life yeah and then he just gets really mad about yeah, it. yeah he kind of goes back towards it but you know I, th- I think something that's interesting about this movie is that like by that point in the movie when mandy has been killed everyone's on drugs after that yeah, yeah. like at that point nick cage has gone to the, the cenobite motel mm-hmm. and has snorted a bunch of cocaine yep. and drank a bunch of the lsd cocaine if he's lucky who knows i, what I know that shit was. Yeah. F- shredded fiberglass like i i don't know um but yeah like every, everybody at that point is on some sort of mind-altering substance mm-hmm. so i do think you're supposed to at times like people's behavior is being influenced by that you yeah know? i was gonna i was gonna bring that up too is uh i wrote down the moral of this movie is drugs are bad kids i'm well unless you gotta get revenge then they seem great yeah but you wouldn't have needed the revenge if no one had been doing drugs that's true that's true uh but I, I was gonna say how how much of this i don't really know how to phrase this but hopefully you can parse out what i mean Let's try. When I say, <laughs> how much of this do you think is actually happening? Mm. Because there is that kind of line where things go really over the top when drugs are introduced. Like that, yes. that sequence where Jeremiah has, they've given Mandy uh, that LSD and the wasp sting. Yeah. Things get really fucking crazy. Like everything gets super, super red and really surreal. Yeah, the voices get weird. Yeah, her face keeps blending into Jeremiah's Which face. Which is awesome. Like yeah, that's really that's well the done. one thing when I was watching, I was like, I would love to see this in the big screen because yeah. like, even stone cold sober, I think that would freak me out. <laughs> yeah, but you know that that's when things start really going over the top. When you pull back, 
after that scene, things get really grounded, quote unquote. Right. Where Jeremiah starts, you know, calling her a whore and piece of shit and telling Nick Cage that she's that's that's where the line comes from. The thing that he stabs him oh, with. Oh, right, that right, is right. The, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the tainted the blade, tainted of, blade the of the pale knight. Night. <laughs> um, but, you know, like it, it gets more grounded and you see that well, these are a bunch I, of just shitty drug addicts. Yeah, because I think you've transitioned at that point from Mandy's point of view where she has also been dosed mm-hmm. back to sort of Red's perspective where he's sober. He's not on anything. Yeah, he's just... Yeah. In the, he's in the real world while this is happening around him. Yeah. Um. I. You know. I. Th- I think we're meant to believe that all of it happens. Mm-hmm. I don't think it necessarily happens exactly the way we're shown. Yeah, that's how I read um, it too. Like, especially, I'm. I highly doubt that they really had some sort of epic chainsaw fight. <laughs> yeah. That. That. As screams... cool as that is, I really don't think that in real life drugged up nick cage who had probably lost a lot of blood by that point because he had been already stabbed and like beaten up yeah was dueling (laughs) dueling chainsaw i mean he's fighting a guy with a chainsaw and multiple infections at that point yes um yeah that that is a great candidate for like the south park cutaway where you see what they're actually doing and they just you know like their pants are down and they're like punching (sighs) walls or something yeah (laughs) um but yeah i i read it the same way where it's like there's a certain point where all of the height, well, I guess throughout the whole movie, all the height and stuff is related to, <coughs> excuse me, drug use of some kind. Yeah. And then there's a certain point where Nicolas Cage tries, where Red tries the crazy acid that yes. caused these guys to go crazy forever. And I think the implication at the end is it's, that he is now crazy forever. He is now crazy forever. Yeah. Yeah. Because as he is, you know, not, not to skip all the way to the end, um, but as, but I'm going to skip all the way to the end. As he's driving away, he is hallucinating Mandy in the passenger seat next to him. Right. And the landscape around him has like completely changed into this sort of 80s style high fantasy heavy metal record sleeve or like cover of a, of a, a book you would have found on the, um, on the shelves of a, it's the kind of book that Mandy Mandy reads. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like everything around him is transformed into this, this other world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think the implication and the the look on his face very much implies that he's completely lost his mind. Yes. Yeah. And it's, I, I like that they, that they have so many, kind of traditional um mythic journey beats that they hit yeah that are very much kind of like um covered in the style of this movie whether it's going to build duke to get the uh crossbow with the arrows that cut through bone (laughs) like a fat boy through cake yeah isn't the crossbow even called something like i'm here for the reaper yeah yeah something like like that that. and you know then he builds this ridiculous yes axe yes and there's a moment where he actually gets body armor the way that you would Mm -hmm. like a knight would get whatever and then he towards the end he does my favorite thing which is it's just a storytelling device that i i really like and you know they talk about stories and they're like at a certain point your character crosses crosses a threshold yeah 
Whenever they have characters literally do that, yes, I really appreciate it, and yeah. especially if it's uh, going down, because you know the the story, the <clears throat> let me push my glasses up here. Yeah, the uh, the Campbellian story <laughs> circle, the hero's journey, is very yes. much about starting starting from a place of comfort and then traveling down into the depths, literal or metaphorical, of right. whatever your. Um, uh, the the conflict is, and then reemerging as a changed person on the other side. Yes, and I always, I, I know it's easy, but I always love it when the traveling down into the depths is a literal thing that the characters do. Yeah, especially when it makes sense for the movie. Like, like right, like it makes sense in the story that's being told too. Yeah, you know yeah. that that of course this crazy fucking cult is like a religious cult, so they've got like a weird ass religious shrine area and putting that underground makes sense. Like, like it's not just having him descend for, you know, I don't know. I think, I think it works thematically and stylistically in this movie as well. It's not just a gimmick. Yeah. It's just a little bit of a gimmick, but it works, but it works. Well, I, I always find that it works because they usually put that towards the end. And it is this idea of you are now, crossing into some sort of underworld right it's like a visual signifier for this big moment and you know you know just as far as uh instinctual response to something like that if someone's going underground into a dark space then you're gonna the tension's gonna rise and all that kind of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah i i i appreciate that sort of like joseph campbell on acid kind of yes. kind of approach <laughs> do you know one thing i have to say that this is this is jumping topics a little bit mm-hmm. um i really like the the sort of animation moments in this yeah they're very strange they're very they're very strange and they're, they're, yeah. but they're very cool and i think they work for what's happening the one thing i don't like about it is that the animated version of mandy this sort of mythic version of mandy she doesn't have her scar she has a scar. She has a scar that comes down on her face from her from her eye. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that at all, actually. Yeah, she's got this scar that, like, it's not, it's super noticeable in certain shots, mm-hmm. and it's, like, barely there in others. It kind of really depends on the colors and the light. Yeah. Which is one thing I really love about this movie is that different characters in different light look different. Yeah, yeah. Like, her eyes are actually very light colored. But in that sort of like dark magenta light, her eyes look black. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like certain ways the light hits her, that scar under one of her eyes becomes really, really prominent. And it's like, you could say it's kind of cheap to do it this way, but I actually like it. When you put that together with her story about her dad, Mm -hmm. it's obvious she's had a really violent life like like that this life she has with red in the woods is peaceful and different than how her life has been previously Mm -hmm. without having to go into all this verbal exposition yeah right because these two characters don't feel like characters who would sit around like swapping all these stories all the time you know what i mean like you feel really how many animals could your parents kill you you're gonna run out of stories eventually right exactly um yeah so it kind of bugs me that when when red is sort of envisioning her in this mythic way Mm. he doesn't include that yeah that's interesting because i assume it's from red's point of view yeah yeah i would think so you know yeah you know it's funny i i hadn't really thought about this until 
you know, you're talking about the scar and the stuff you were saying earlier about about her not being like a traditionally attractive kind yeah. of character. And I was thinking, you know, <sighs> the thing that I that I think I like the thing that makes me come back around on this revenge plot yeah and make me actually like it more <clears throat> is that usually when you have a plot like this mm-hmm. the starting point yep is a very idealized starting point yeah like john wick yes you can't get more idealized than a guy with a cute ass dog <laughs> you know like yeah it's like if you, if you want to go one step further than guy with a beautiful wife who gets killed, right? You go guy with a with an adorable and he, and puppy. And he's both. Right. His beautiful wife dies, and then his yeah, that's his true. Adorable. Yes, so he's already yeah. halfway there. But like that's that's generally because that obviously it's like well if the the dip is the bigger the dip the more you're going to be right. on that par- character side. And the thing about this movie is the dip is no less big. Right. It's just that. What Red thinks is the idealized high point yeah. is not necessarily something everybody would immediately think is the idealized high point. Right. Because his relationship with Mandy, who is not, neither one of them are really conventionally attractive. Right. They just kind of hang around, like yeah. you were saying. They watch TV. They eat frozen dinners. Yep. That's, but to them, or at least to him, yeah, that's it. Like, yeah, this he doesn't is need anything else. Yeah. Is I mean, do they even? Um, is it her or is it him who's like maybe we should move away from here or something like that? I think he says it. Yeah, and and she's like, oh no no no, oh I can't remember. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought he said it, and now I'm second guessing and thinking maybe she did. But yeah, one one of them sort of suggests it, and the other one is like, no, but I like it here. Like this is yeah. where I want to be. I like our life here. But either way, it's like there is a connection like there there that the life that he has that has been ripped away from him is no less tragic than if it were two supermodels who had their life like for instance there's a movie called revenge that came out a couple years ago (laughs) i have a feeling i know what this is about yeah it's actually really good yeah i i hope i might be on the list actually but it is very much like it's about this gorgeous woman Mm -hmm. who has this gorgeous boyfriend and they go, they're going away for the weekend. I don't know if I want to talk about what happens from okay. that point on, but let's yeah. just say the the woman is the protagonist in the movie. Okay. Uh, called Revenge. Yes. <laughs> you can make your own decision about what that revenge is about. But, sure. But, you know, it, it's very much more like she has this style, like Instagram life. Yes. That is yeah. now. Hollywood perfect. Hollywood perfect Yeah. Life. That has now been violently rip, ripped away. And, yeah, you know, and I and this is very much the opposite. Right, of that. He, they've got kind of a mundane life together. Yeah. Like like he's a lumberjack, she works as like a cashier. Yeah, at like a convenience store or a gas station or something. Yeah. Like neither one of them has glamorous jobs. Their house is like cool, mm-hmm. but it's clearly not like a nice house. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's not like some beautiful, high end, gorgeous up in the hills. It's just like. He probably built that cabin. Right. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. Like they're the food they eat, they're not going out to fancy restaurants. They're not like gallivanting around like, oh, we have our European honeymoon coming up. Right, right. They're just like she's making her art and they're watching B movies on the television. And it's together. not like it's not like the Hollywood version of that where it's yeah. like here's a handsome guy. Here's uh Chris Pratt. 
but he wears right. he wears flannel shirts, so you know he's a man of the of the land, right? And his right. his wife and here's Emily Blunt. Yeah, here's yeah. Emily Blunt, but she's got like kind of her hair's in a messy bun, so right? You know, she's right. she likes gardening or some shit. Yes, it's not. It's very much not that. And yeah. I think that also is so much more interesting to me thinking about how Jeremiah is going after Mandy specifically, right? In and the fact that. Like I, I want to talk about them, and I want to talk about that scene with the two of them. Yes, for more reasons than I think this is the first full frontal nudity we've ever had on this sh- on this show. But I'm maybe not. Full I don't mean currently. Male yes, male nudity. nudity. Yeah, I, don't, I don't mean currently some... right now. I am yeah. wearing clothes. Yes, but, thank I mean, you. In the movie, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but like it is, it is so interesting that the thing that sets all of this off is that Mandy laughs at him in his like yes. what he thinks is his grand messianic yes moment you know with his junk hanging out that yeah. no one can resist and she just laughs in his face he thinks he's jesus and she's like mary magdalene right and yeah. it's just gonna like fall in front of his feet yeah but one other thing i wanted to say just real quick kind of going back to the, the, the talk about pacing in this movie mm-hmm. and like is it slow is it not slow one of the reasons i really like the fact that that if Mandy has to die, she doesn't die until halfway or even a little more than halfway through the movie. Yeah. Is it gives us time to kind of care about her. Sure. sure. It gives us time to care about her relationship with Red. It gives us time to see what her relationship with Red is like and what their lives are like. Mm-hmm. It's not like so many of these movies where, you know, male action hero wife dies in the first 10 minutes right or you know daughter dies in the first 10 minutes or whatever happens like in the first 10 15 minutes and it's like yeah sure that's sad your wife died but like we don't know her like we don't know what happened this movie kind of puts her back in the movie and makes her a real character rather than just like a pure plot device yeah for the for the spouse to go on this you know bloody rampage yeah have you ever seen man on fire Denzel Washington. I think so, but it was a really long time ago. That's one of my favorite revenge movies mm-hmm. because of exactly that reason. It's a, it's like two hours, a longer yeah. movie, but they spend the whole first hour building this relationship between um, Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning. Yeah. So when Dakota Fanning eventually gets kidnapped, mm. you know, you A, you care, and B, you yeah. know and hope to see... That Denzel Washington <laughs> is going to scorch the earth to get her back, right? And like it, it's a lot more effective than just here's oh my we're here we are at a picnic oh no they're dead now yeah I think that's always why John Wick like the first John Wick movie has never really captured me the way it got so many yeah. people yeah it's just because it's like for most people if you kill a dog and you show like that you kill the dog early on and and kind of on screen. Mm-hmm. Most people, even people who don't love dogs, are going to be like, ooh, that's fucked up. Like, but, that's horrible. But not you. You love that stuff. <laughs> you know I love dogs more than people. <laughs> they could have killed, like, many people, and mm-hmm. it would not have bothered me as much as that dog dying. I, d- I did not watch that movie until about three months ago. Oh, really? Because, because the dog the dies. Dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I get real mad, real angry about yeah, it. Yeah, but it. But it feels, it feels a little cheap to me. You know, it's funny. You know I mean? Years ago, I think maybe when I was still in college or maybe just out of college, 
uh, someone someone approached me about doing like character design for this movie that they were trying to get made. Mm-hmm. And but when I say try to get made, I'm like, I don't think this was ever going to get made. Okay. And I don't remember exactly the bulk of the story, but I do remember the core of it being there's this guy and he's like a, uh, in a, like a, 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 a loner assassin type and he's yeah. got this dog and he loves the dog more than anything else in the world. And then they kill the dog. And then he goes <laughs> off and gets revenge. And I, when I was like, eh, I mean, I'll do this, but that sounds fucking cheap. It's a, yeah, like, it, it, yeah. sound, it sounded like a really cheap storytelling device. I mean, I guess when you plug in Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves and some interesting action, I, I guess it works. But sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, this, I like that this movie doesn't go for the cheap way of setting up the revenge story. Right. It, yeah. it like does take the time to let you sort of get to know this character at least yeah yeah so yeah, yeah what, what how do you feel about jeremiah sand as a character and also that sequence when he's proselytizing is that the word like, yeah yeah proselytizing to mandy yeah you know it's it's interesting because this so this movie it came out in 2018 but it takes place in 1983 yeah and i i we were talking about it and it, it occurred to me they use the 80s in a very similar way to let me in yeah. Where it's just sort of like they It's just all, like texture. Yeah. All you need is one radio broadcast from Ronald Reagan and yeah. it really goes a long way. Oh yeah. yeah <laughs> anyway. That's sorry. all you need to set a scene. Yeah. Um but I, I think in, in that way it almost reminds me of like the way that like Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. commented on the seventies. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is kind of commenting on the sixties and seventies as well. And all yeah, the people who sure. sort of saw, like, psychedelic drugs as the solution to problems mm-hmm. and, like, how people were using that to take advantage of others. Mm. And I think that this this is, you know, you can watch this and, and look at Jeremiah Sand and think, I thought a lot about Charles Manson. Oh, sure. Yeah. Who is this, you know, Charles Manson was not... He wasn't like tall, he wasn't super handsome, he wasn't imposing, but he fed his followers enough drugs mm-hmm. and he was charismatic enough to keep them under his control and he was a failed musician. Right, right. So like there's all these parallels between that kind of figure and Jeremiah Sand that where he could almost feel like a kind of ineffectual villain out of context but like in that context he's actually kind of realistic sure do you know what i mean like like people like that really exist and existed in the past and like these sort of like weird pseudo-religious like groups were a much bigger thing yeah like back in the 60s 70s and and probably into the early 80s yeah i think i think what is also fairly realistic about he and his him and his followers <laughs> is that there's only like five of them right yeah there's not like a ton of people and they're not like they're not like the hills have eyes style like horrible hillbillies but right, they're right. also not like beautiful supermodels yeah either. nobody in this movie is i mean linus roach who plays jeremiah sand is probably the most attractive person in the movie and that's <laughs> i'd say sister lucy Oh, is that the, the younger young, the girl? The younger yeah, girl. She's, cute. Yeah. she's very pretty. Yeah. But she's very like, if you saw her in the grocery store, you'd think, wow, she's very pretty. Yeah. You know, yeah. she's not like 
it's not like you'd walk by Angelina Jolie and be like, oh my God. Right, right. This, this podcast, for anyone who's just joining us, is all about Amanda just trashing everybody's looks in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's... I, I mean they deserve it i'm not i'm not disagreeing I, they're all just garbage people the cenobite biker gang is the hottest group in this movie you know under those masks <laughs> you don't know i bet it's one direction under those masks yeah <laughs> my god it's just harry styles <laughs> but yeah i like that the cult presence in this movie feels it's so fascinating that it goes so crazy over the top at the end yeah and I think it's it's great that it does that because the the presentation of the cult people at the beginning does feel very realistic in that there's only five of them. Yep. They're all traveling around in some shitty van. Yep. And uh, they're all dealing with, they're all basically tripping on acid all the time. Yes. And uh, their leader is a- Narcissist. Narcissist yeah. who, as soon as somebody laughs at him, just flies off the handle about right. it. Right. Right. Yeah, is so insecure that he's literally willing to murder somebody over it. Yeah, and and since and the the stylistic change once uh everybody starts doing more drugs. Yeah. It 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 rises to the level of what this kind of revenge requires, if that makes sense. So like it 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 makes it a lot more epic. Yeah. Than it would have been in quote unquote real life where it's like right. Nicolas Cage finds their van and just stabs him in the face. Right. Because you know? right. I was thinking, because I feel like those final revenge, the problem with revenge movies or the potential problem is when you get to the end, that last kill has yeah. to be very satisfying and has to be worth the journey to get there. Yeah. And a lot of, sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they're a little bit yeah, of a, yeah. Yeah, a little bit kind of a, of a letdown. Yeah, yeah. A, little, a little damp, wet squib, as you'd say. <laughs> um, but they do a really great job in this one because everything's going so nuts and getting crazier. Right. And the way that he kills him at the end, there is that, you know, the scene where he's yelling at him about sucking his dick and, and then then he just squeezes his head till his head explodes. It's all very satisfying. Yes, yeah. And and it's 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 sort of led up to by these really bizarre and and great set pieces, you know, like the chain yeah. the chainsaw fight. Right. Is right. insane. He goes and he meets the chemist. Yep. Who's making the LSD. Weird scene. That's a weird scene. Exactly. It's a really yeah. weird scene, but there's all of these things that it's like Another thing I just thought of, it kind of reminds me of towards the end of Censor. Oh, sure. Yeah. Where like she goes to the woods and then from then on, it's sort of like what parts of this are reality and what parts of this right. are in her mind. Right. And that's kind of what happens here is he like, he goes into the woods and the further he gets away from civilization and the closer he gets to Jeremiah Sand, just like the weirder shit gets. Right. Um. But to go back to your original question about the scene when Mandy has been taken hostage by the cult and Jeremiah Sand is sort of proselytizing to her and playing his own music. Yes. Like a true egoist. Yep. Um, and then he sort of just opens up his robe and expects her to... Clap? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Be like super into it. Um. 
I think it fits really well with that character. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like I think it's it's like yep, this is exactly what he thinks. He thinks like he's going to present himself to a woman, and she is going to be like, "Thank you." Right. Yeah. Um, and I love that she laughs at him. Like I I love that that's the thing that pushes him over the edge. Yeah. Because there's that I think like Margaret Atwood said it or something where it's like, um. Men are afraid that women will laugh at them and women are afraid that men will kill them. Sure, yeah. And like this movie is like, that scene is kind of the epitome of that sort of, you know, it's a it's a pithy saying, but like sadly a true one. Right, right. And I think it shows that so well that like he's doing this because he is so insecure and right. because he is like not this messiah figure that he tells everybody he is because otherwise he wouldn't need to do this shit. Right. Um, But yeah, it's also like a very, I mean, it's a, it's a really cool scene in terms of like the style, the way we did it. They do it. Like we were saying earlier where like his face and her face are sort of merging and going back and forth. Um, but it's also like kind of a really long scene. It is. It's a long scene. (laughs) It's a really long scene. That's, that's one of those things where the, where the pacing starts to, to kind of, it either works by that point or it doesn't because yeah. that is probably the most hypnotic scene in the movie. Yes. That's where things really start getting kind of like loosey-goosey about reality and, you know, you, they've got that, like, trailing effect on every because everybody's right. high and stuff. Yeah, yeah, everybody's, like, got that, yeah, I guess tra- trailing effect is the best way to put it. Yeah. And the colors are crazy and the voices are, like, deeper and slower. Yeah, and it's really... It's really slowing things down to make you sit with yeah. this psychedelic experience that she's having. And at that point, I feel like you're either in or you're out. Yeah. Um, th- it's. I think, interestingly, it it never gets that slow again after that point. Because yeah. after that, it's like, you know, they let cider on fire. Then Nicolas Cage gets loose. He's got that one scene in the bathroom, which is... Yeah. That's kind of a long scene too, but at, at least there's a lot going on where he's just sc- going through a lot of emotions and stuff. I actually think that scene is great. Yeah, I think it's like, great. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people might watch that scene and kind of laugh and be like, oh, haha, Nick Cage yelling yeah. in oh, his underwear yes, is tidy yeah. whities haha. But I actually think he does a really great job with it. Yeah, yeah. No. I I don't know Stop how else. Stop arguing with me about it, Clay. <laughs> I don't know how else you react in that situation. Yeah, other than <laughs> screaming. It feels yeah. pretty realistic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that scene is a really interesting, uh, uh, not focal point, but kind of pivot point for everything where it it really kind of slows you down before it starts the, it's like right at the top of the, of the roller coaster. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like it. I think the, the. I I've, we we were talking about Dune last night, my, me and Wes and, and Dave. Oh, cool! And I feel like it's not the same level as this, but Dune is kind of a similar movie as far as the pacing goes. Where it, it is, it's not it's not boring and it's not slow, but it is very kind of hypnotic and deliberate. Yes, where it wants you to sit in certain things and just yeah. like experience them and let them wash over you. Right, like the the the, the sand dunes of Arrakis. Like yeah. it wants you to kind of like settle into the atmosphere yeah the scenes with uh baron harkonnen yeah are very deliberately 
his he performance speaks is slowly. Yep. He, there's lots of pauses between his words or lots of smoke and stuff. Yeah, people yeah. say things to him and he doesn't respond right away. Right. Like it makes you kind of dwell there. Yeah. And I I oh, I really like that stuff. I yeah. liked it there, I like it here. Uh, one of my favorite movies is a movie, a Werner Herzog movie called A Gear, The Wrath of God. Oh, I haven't seen that, oh, but so good. my boss keeps telling me to watch that. Really? Yeah. Your boss seems like a cool oh, guy. Oh, my boss is or my cool boss. My boss is awesome. He, yeah. he's a very cool dude. He was in a he was in a punk band in the eighties that was pretty big around Boston. That's right. I remember you telling me that. Yep. But it's got it's got this same like the whole the whole movie's about conquistadors floating yes. down the river dying from yes. various things. And wasn't the actual filming of it like actually a nightmare? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They actually shot in Peru and yeah. blah 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 blah. <laughs> But it's like it is. It is. I've always liked those movies that can evoke that kind of response, and it works. Like you yeah. can do that stuff, and it doesn't work. But if you can, if you can get into that space where you are just sort of along. I, like I think, I think this movie Mandy has a lot of David Lynch baked into it. Yeah, because David Lynch does the same kind of thing mm-hmm. um, in different right. ways. But yeah, there's, there's, and if and if those if those if the thing he's doing hits the right notes for you, right. You're willing to sit there with it for a longer period of time. But if yes, it's not yeah. your cup of tea, then it's really not your cup of tea. Right. We were talking about that also about Dune because David yeah. Lynch did direct Dune. And how Denny uh, Villeneuve, or however you pronounce his last name, uh, they kind of have similar sensibilities, but on complete opposite, uh, opposite sides of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Where everybody in the new Dune is kind of on the same wavelength as far as performances go. They're all kind yes. of occupying that sort of hypnotic space. Whereas David Lynch loves a good performance with a capital P. Yes. Yeah. A character. Right. Yeah. If you will. But uh, you can listen to that in our coverage of Dune, which is on YouTube right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, a, it's just a really, Mandy is a really, honestly, it's the kind of movie that I wish I could make. Like it, it's yeah. just, it, it feels very, personal and visceral but not in a but in a very kind of like uh visually amazing kind of artistic way that isn't isn't beholden or necessarily driven by plot you know yeah the the more i think about this movie the, the more i start thinking about this director as sort of being the anti mike flanagan sure Yes. Yeah. You know, where like mike mike flanagan not only visually does he favor more like like real time Mm -hmm. and then like muted palettes and sort of darker less like vivid and almost fantasy visuals but like mike flanagan is always chewing on the same basic thing right which is like how do families or people who are connected by strong relationships deal with trauma yeah like he's always kind of chewing on that theme all of his stories are sort of a retelling and a, a slightly different facet of the prism of that theme. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like Mr. Panos Cosmatos here is like not really interested in like the narrative story sure, yeah. of any of it. And is just like, here is this world that I want to create. Like right, here is right. this, this, these images I have that I want to make real even though they're not like yeah. the very like fant- fan- phantasmic sort of attitude around everything. Yeah. 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 Mike Flanagan really uh, getting down to the gristle on the, on that bone, I think. 
Might need to. <laughs> I know, and I'm. It's, might need it's to a go bummer. Back to the buffet. It's a bummer because I love I love Mike Flanagan. I've said it many many times on this podcast that I'm a I'm a big fan. I don't mean to. Yeah. This comparison is not even meant to be a negative one. It's it's right, just. Right. I feel like again you could you could draw draw a line for the spectrum and put, you know, Mandy on one side and midnight mass on the other sure yeah yeah i can definitely see that yeah uh the other thing i wanted to bring up was the music which was oh, done by so uh johan johansson yes uh who unfortunately passed away shortly before the movie came out that's so sad yeah i i looked it up because i was i was curious how he died because i had never seen any seen it anywhere yeah. apparently the toxicology report said that he had a mixture of cocaine and i think cough medicine like codeine or something? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think Yikes. it just says... Because uh, in Europe, cough medicine is like real. Uh, co- <laughs> I'm sorry. A combination of cocaine and flu medication. Flu medication. So yeah. I don't know if he if he did that on purpose or if he was just happened to be fighting the flu and Aww. decided to give himself a bump. I don't know. That's uh, so sad. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. He m- did some really great music. I believe there's another movie I think he was supposed to do music for that they ended up uh maybe not well he also did the music for arrival and sicario which yeah. are denny villeneuve movies um yeah he oh in prisoners which is also so yeah he seemed to be the go-to guy for for denny until he unfortunately passed away but uh yeah, yeah there's that original music there's the king crimson song it's yes. like the, everything everything about this movie is just deliberate and hypnotic yeah and i just think it works really well now here's the real question Uh oh does this belong on our list this is rated number 42 this is very high yeah. on a horror movie list yeah i have a, i have a tough time with that because I do feel like when you when you add in the drugs mm-hmm. and there are many of them in this movie the things that these characters are seeing and experiencing are horrific mm-hmm. and in in with the black skulls the uh, the cenobite biker gang even if it does turn out that they're they're sort of just dudes they are these sort of very highly stylized characters that do feel like they believe they belong in a horror movie right do you know what i mean like i i feel like i feel like if you can call a movie like your next a horror movie yep then you can call a movie like this a horror movie interesting that's a yeah right yeah, there's I no supernatural s- elements in that it's just like assassins and masks yeah i your next is trading on the slasher thing right but at its core, it's more of a survival action thing, I guess. Yeah, and this is a revenge movie, but there are these, like, elements of... Because, you know, like, what he's going through, you could call it a drug-induced psychosis. Sure. And so what he's seeing is what he really believes is happening around him. Mm-hmm. And in that case, like, yeah, it's pretty horrifying. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> So I don't know if I would put it as as much as I I really enjoy this movie and I highly recommend it. I don't know if I would put it at number forty two. Yeah, I that's, might keep it on the list, but not have it in the top hundred. Yeah, if if I could shift it down without 
without it, that downward shift being indicative of quality, <laughs> then I think I would shift it down. Because, like, yeah. obviously, like, this is these things are working off of the Rotten Tomato score, which are not genre-based scores. Right. I would say, great movie. Yes. Maybe not that high as far as great horror movies go. Yeah, but, but yeah, this is another one, though. It's sort of, like, tough in terms of genre. Yeah. Like, if you don't call it a horror movie, then... What do you call it? Right, yeah. You know? Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I do agree that it's it's tough to call this <laughs> the 42nd best horror movie of all time, knowing that The Shining is somewhere lingering in the 100s. I think it's at 77 now. Well, still. Yes. But <laughs> if it's yeah. not above 42, then, you know, swap them out. Yeah. It does have a goblin in it, though. So well, that, that's got to count goblin. for something. Uh, yeah, all right. I think that's going to do it for our coverage of Mandy. Thank you for joining Mandy and myself as we talk about it. I'm um, telling you, get it all out of your system right now, because the minute these mics go off, your permission is revoked. I just won't turn the mics off then. I don't have to record it, but the mics will be on. Uh, I'm going to hit the randomizer button. Beep, boop, boop, beep, beep, boop, beep, boop. And next time, you know, this is a very slow, deliberately paced movie. Yes. So we're going to go... We're turning that juice all the way back up. We're going to get into some fast-cutting, quick-moving horror. We're going to be doing The Witch. (laughs) Which, if you thought this one was slow, buckle up, baby. Yes, I love The Witch. I am so excited. (laughs) Witch forever. Yes, I love this movie. Slower and fewer lights. This is like Amanda's section of the list is all happening right now. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Wait sure until, wait no, until I, we get to my wild card. Oh, boy. How, <laughs> how slow this is a game of limbo. I keep threatening you with I am the pretty thing that lives in the we, house. That, and the, one of these days I'm going to do the it. The witch is number 49. So yeah. you're coming off of Mandy and the witch. Let's see where you take that jet. All right. See how slow this Let's see how slow go. I can make it. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it uh, for us. Uh, we are still on Patreon this year covering Friday the 13th. We God help us. just last month did Jason X when Wes from the Penske file joined us for that one. And uh, this month in November, we will be placing our bets for the battle of the century when Freddy versus Jason. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, I, I am actually excited for that. One. Yeah, I, yeah. you know. I just, I'm a Freddy guy. I've always been a Freddy guy. I have much more uh, love for Friday the 13th since we've been doing this. Mm. But Freddy is just like. He's, <laughs> he's, your, he's, he's your bro. He's my number one. He always yeah. will be. Uh, so that's going to be great. If you want to follow a- along with us on that one, you can join our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash the Penske file. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate everyone who listens to this show, to any of the other shows we do. And, uh,. Yeah, you're helping keep all the fluorescent pink lights on keep, in our house. Keep houses. my hair magenta. Yes. Uh, so thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you, Clay. And we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.